0: And there's no better segue for money than to talk about what it's like when we eat out. Um, Americans spend, on average, half of their food budget on eating out. Okay? Half of their food budget. More than 75% of us in the last month have eaten out at least one time. And if we lived in Atlanta, that meant that you spent 60% of your food budget on eating out. It's the highest percentage in all of the nation. And maybe you know some people that live in Atlanta. You're like, yeah, that's probably true for them. Like we love food, right? We love food. We we love leaving out, uh, eating out. Uh, a couple of months ago, we were in a series, and to share with you the top five menu items that uh, that we love to eat when we go eat out, specifically at a fast food restaurant. And, and the number one, I don't know if you remember this, was the King, It was the Burger King Whopper, number one food menu item that people love to get. Well, today I want to share with you the top five fast food restaurants that we just love to eat at. Okay. And I'll throw these up here on the screen. Here, here's the very first one. The very first one, number five, Wendy's. Probably because of the Frosties. Yep, Frosties. Number four, we got Taco Bell. Yeah, Chalupas. Do they even make those anymore? I don't know if they make those. I've never even had one. Number three, Jesus Chicken, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, there you go. Number two, which shouldn't be up here, but I don't know why it is. We got Starbucks. We're all like, what? That's not a fan. I guess it's considered fast food. Starbucks, you gotta get that caramel macchiato, right? The number one is. Oh, you guys are good. Still the king. It's the king over the king, right? We love the fries. Let's just be honest. We love the fries from McDonald's. Now we, we love eating out at those places and you know we we eat out quite a bit. But what I want to talk to you this morning about is how food and eating is one of the best ways that we can bless the lives of other people. All right, so over the next few moments, we're going to talk through this. But before we get there, we're in this series called Bless. Real quick recap this series is actually based on a book called Bless, and we've been using this book to go through this. And in fact, if you're one of our neighborhood Group leaders, we've got books for you today, the blessed book. We're going to get you to pick those up. Um, But the idea here is if we look back at Scripture, back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we read these words that God gives to Abraham. God says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And so that blessing that all families are going to be blessed through Abraham was the blessing of Jesus being sent to this earth. And so if you and I, if we're like, hey, I follow Jesus. Jesus is important in my life. We've been blessed in such an amazing way, we are now called to bless the lives of others. And so in this series, we've been talking about how do we bless people. We've been using that blessed word to do that. And so we talked about being in prayer, about praying for these divine moments where we can have people in our life that we can have this opportunity to bless. And then last week, the L, we talked about listening, how important listening is and how important when we listen, it helps bless the lives of others. And this week, we're talking about E. E. We're talking about eating, and one of the best things that you and I can do to bless the lives of other people is to eat with them. You're probably thinking, why should we eat with people to bless them? In fact, last night we were in the car with my wife and one of my kids, and they were both like, hey, what are you talking about tomorrow morning? I said, I'm talking about eating to bless people, and they started laughing. They thought I was kidding. I was like, no, for real, eating is one of the most incredible ways that we can bless the lives of other people. And here's the reason I know this to be true. Look at the life of Jesus. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, here's what you're going to find. Jesus had a meal ministry. And yet sometimes we don't connect with that. Because when we go back and we look at Scripture, how often do we see these moments where Jesus is spending time with other people and food is involved? We can go back to the the wedding in Cana and the water he turns into wine. We've got the feeding of the 5,000. We actually got another one there, a feeding of the 4,000. We've got the Lord's Supper. We've got after Jesus resurrects, he's out there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's making breakfast for the disciples as they come to where he is sitting, and he feeds them, and he, he has a conversation with them. And so when we look at Scripture, we see all these moments, we see all these times where Jesus is spending time with other people, and he does it over food. Now, I think one of the important things to understand about that was that in that culture, food was so important. I mean, in our culture, food's pretty important. But, but in that culture, there, there was meaning behind it. Who you ate with showed who your friends were. Who you ate with showed who you cared about. Who you ate with showed who you loved. But maybe even more important for them, who you ate with showed the social class and the social circles that you were a part of. So eating together was kind of like middle school lunch for adults, right? I mean, that's what it really boiled down to. That you had these little cliques, and you stayed in those cliques, you stayed in those classes, and those are the only people that you spent time with and that you ate with. But then we look at Jesus. And we look at Jesus, and we look at the people that he spent time with, we look at the people that he ate with, and Jesus kind of... He permeated all these different lines that were there. Because one moment he'd be eating with Pharisees and religious leaders, and the next moment he'd be eating with the outcasts and the fringe people, the people that were lost. And it was over those moments that we see Jesus has this this power of influence in the lives of others and blessing them. And so we're going to spend our time this morning looking at one of those moments. It comes out of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 9. It says, as Jesus was walking alone, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. We're introduced to this guy named Matthew here, and um, if you catch this, this is Matthew actually writing about Matthew, right? It's Matthew writing about himself, and he's, he's talking about how he first connected with, with Jesus. And as we look here, we see that he's sitting at this tax office, as it says. It's probably in the area of Capernaum, which is on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, It's probably not really the tax office like IRS type of thing that we're thinking about. It's more like a customs office. Uh, People would come in off of the Sea of Galilee. They would come across the Jordan River on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And in that area, the northern part of what we know as Israel was uh, ruled by Herod Antipas. And, And so this was Matthew's job was to collect custom taxes. And all this money would go back to that Herod. And so he would be there to collect taxes from people riding in boats through the Sea of Galilee that coming up into this particular area where he is. Um, if fishermen were out, they'd fish, they'd come back in, they'd pay taxes on that. People were crossing the Jordan, they'd pay customs and service taxes to come into this, this area. And so this was Matthew's job. And so here we have him. One day he's there in his job, he's doing everything that he's supposed to be doing, and Jesus shows up in his life. Look at the rest of verse 9. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Pretty simple, Jesus shows up, Jesus says, follow me, and Matthew does what? He stops what he's doing, and he actually gets up and he follows Jesus. Now up until this point, we don't see any interaction between Matthew and Jesus, more than likely, Matthew knew who Jesus was because Jesus spent a lot of time right there in that vicinity. Uh, I'd swear he would go back. It's kind of his home base. Uh, he'd rest, relax, spend time with family and friends. And so Matthew had probably seen Jesus, probably heard Jesus, but I'm sure in Matthew's mind he's like, but Jesus is a rabbi, and so we're in a different social class. We, we hang out with different people. He's, he's just another one of those religious dudes. And here I am, I'm, I'm just an outsider, I'm an outcast. And as we look here, Jesus shows up into Matthew's life and he invites him to follow him, and Matthew does that. Look at verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other dis- disreputable sinners. Jesus had his disciples at the time. He didn't have his full 12 then, of course, because he's just now picking up Matthew. But they get invited to Matthew's home to eat. And, and when they get there, they, they find there's, there's more people there than just themselves. You've got Matthew's colleagues. You've got friends and acquaintances of his that are there too. Look at verse 11. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Uh, Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, it was a great question, uh, what version translation of the Bible do I use? I use the New Living Translation. I find it easy for me to read. I find it easy to teach from. You choose whatever translation that that you want. But you see that word scum there and you're thinking to yourself, that's terrible to say. Well, in actuality, the Greek word that's used there for scum and tax collectors and sinners are, are the same word. And what this word really means is this: a group of people who do not follow the Jewish traditions and rituals. Specifically when it came to things like tithing and purity. And so we find this word actually frequently used in the New Testament. We just adjust it so it fits more for what we are reading there. But here's the Pharisees and they see Jesus with this group of people, right? The the scum, if you will. And there are Paul. Like, they can't believe Jesus is doing this. They can't believe his actions. Now, remember, who you ate with showed your social standing and showed the circles that you were a part of. And as a rabbi, as Jesus was defined as, he was not supposed to be hanging out with this particular group of people. This group of people was beneath him. They, they were supposed to be treated like outcasts because they didn't follow these Jewish rules and traditions. And so the Pharisees go to Jesus' disciples and ask, like, hey, what, what's he doing? Look at verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And that culture in the, the Jewish tradition, faith, and I think probably even their theology, if you were sick, if you were diseased, if something wasn't quite right with you, it was because of sin. And that was either because of the sin that you had committed or someone in your family had committed, then you were the one that was paying the price for this particular sin. And so this idea really permeated all of the Jewish lives and thoughts, beliefs, and their traditions. So here's Jesus who jumps in and he uses this idea and he really just turns it around. And he says, hey, the people that are truly sick are those that are far from God. And I'm here to heal them. Because when you're healthy, you don't go see the doctor. You go to the doctor when you are sick. Jesus says, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to heal those that are sick. I'm here to heal those that are, that are far from God. Look at verse 13. And then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners." For the Pharisees, they chose their religious rituals over loving people, and Jesus comes into the picture and says, no, 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 loving people is more important than your religious rituals. I was looking through this and was checking out a few different translations, and there is a Jewish Bible translation, so I was looking at that this week in this particular passage, and I really love how How they translate this part of, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Because sometimes we can hear that and and I think get a little confused. Here's what it says. It says, I want compassion, not animal sacrifices. I want you to bless the lives of other people, not, not to be stuck in some religious ritual. And so how did Jesus show this compassion? Pretty simply, he ate with people. And what does this eating with people have to do with anything? Well, here's what Jesus did by doing that. He's breaking down walls. He's breaking down barriers. He's breaking down stereotypes. He's breaking down or breaking through these religious rituals and traditions that were in place. He's like, you show compassion to people and you bless them. And one of the ways Jesus did this was spending time eating with them. And for you and I, one of the best ways that we can bless the lives of other people is spend time by eating with them. And in doing that, we break down barriers, we break down walls, we break down stereotypes, we break away from those religious rituals that are in place. However, there is a problem, and that problem is you and I, because we like to make excuses too. We like to make excuses for reasons why we can't eat with people. And so let me share a few of these with you, some excuses that maybe you use and maybe excuses I have used and maybe still use. Let me share with you four don'ts, okay? Because this is kind of the way that we look at this when it comes to eating with people. These are the excuses we make. Here's the first one. Don't number one. I don't want people in my house. There are various reasons for this, uh, that we make excuses of why we don't want people in our house. Maybe are like, I don't want to clean my house. My house is too small. Maybe it's the location, the way it looks. Well, let me share something with you. To eat with people, you don't have to go to a house. You can actually go out to eat. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, right? We, we spend half of our budget going out to eat. Raise that number from 50% to like 51% or 52%. And invite somebody to go out to eat with you. It's pretty simple. Or, or invite them to go to the park, or a museum, or meet them outside here, out at the playground, on the, on the picnic table. Eat out here, whatever it may be. You don't have to eat in your house. You can invite people to other places to eat. Or here's a better idea. Invite yourself over to their house to eat, right? <laughs> that probably is a little creepy, so maybe... Wait until you've built some rapport there, but you're like, man, your grilling smells great. Why don't you invite me over? I always smell your chicken curry. Why don't you let me come over and eat that? I mean, you know you walk through your neighborhood, and you're like, man, I want to go to their house and their house and their house because they're making some amazing food. Just invite yourself over. We, we can't use this as an excuse that we don't want people in our house. Well, you don't have to meet them in your house. Meet them somewhere else. Here's another don't. Don't number two. I don't know what to say. Thankfully, last week, we had a message I was talking about listening to people. And in that, we gave you four areas that you can talk to people about. You can ask questions about their history. Where are they from? What do they do? What is their growing up like where they grew up? What's their hometown? Uh, we, we talked about their, their habits. What are the things they like to do? Hobbies, activities. We talked about their heart. What are they passionate about? And we talked about their hurts. What are the things they're struggling with? What tensions do they have in their life? You know, those are four areas that you can ask questions about. And and so we can talk forever. Somebody can talk to you forever about that. But we can't use I don't know what to say as an excuse. Because I gave you some tidbits on that last week. But don't number three. I don't have time. This is probably our number one excuse. I don't have time. And I would tell you that you do. And here's how I know. I can look around this room right now and I can tell that most of us in here have not missed any meals, okay? Some of you think that's negative, I just mean we all look healthy. That's what I'm talking about. But think about this, okay? Stay with me, don't get mad yet. In any, on any given day, you probably eat three meals a day, okay? Maybe some of you four or five, maybe of you one or two, that's fine, but let's just say on average, we eat three meals a day. Think about it, seven days in a week. If my math is correct, that's 21 times that we eat meals of some sort. Now, if my math is still correct, that should come out to about 1,092 meals over the course of a year. And once again, if my math is correct, let's say you live to the age of 77. We're talking from the time you were zero to age 77, all right? That is 84,084 084 meals that give or take 100 or 1,000 here or there that you and I will eat over the course of our life. 84,000 meals. I'm not counting coffee at at Starbucks or Cervantes or Dunkin' or wherever you like to get your coffee. For some of you, that's like 84,000 times a year that you go and grab those sort of things, right? We can't use our time as an excuse. You and I, we're going to go eat. We're going to have food. We're going to have coffee. There's no better time to invite someone to be a part of those moments together. You're going to do it anyway. Why not invite people into those moments that we spend in eating? It's an important thing that we do in our life, and it's very important that we take the time to invite others to eat with us. And I wonder if you and I began to do that as a church, and we began to bless people through eating with them, what kind of influence and impact that would have on the lives of so many people? I think this is one of the best things that we can do, is to eat together. And then here's the last thing I would say, or putting in the time, but the fourth don't I have is, they don't think like me. And it's hard sometimes to have a meal or to drink coffee with someone who doesn't think like we do, but You do realize that people don't think like you do, right? Now, usually what you do if they don't think like you, you call them a Democrat or you call them a Republican because none of us, we we don't think alike. We don't think alike when it comes to politics or COVID or masks or vaccines or theology. We don't think alike when it comes to something like shiplap in our homes. We don't think alike about these things, do we? But we eat. And you know what? I can't imagine a better time to interact with someone who thinks differently than us than over a meal get in our minds we're like we're gonna fight we're gonna get angry at each other did you know you can have a conversation and not get mad most people don't realize that anymore we can be different we can think differently and not hate each other and want to kill each other at the end of that time together and that's why I think food is so important it gives us an opportunity to talk to people who are different than us who think differently we can break down those walls and we can break down those barriers here's the deal you're not looking to get in a fight with them you're actually not even looking to change them. You're looking to bless them. So what would it look like if we began to take the time to spend with others who don't think like we think and eat a meal together or have coffee together? You know the reason we do this is because we've been blessed. And we're called to bless the lives of others. Now we get to add a ton more excuses here, by the way. We could keep going here, but those are four I think that are pretty prominent But those excuses keep us from blessing the lives of other people. And so why not invite people into our lives so that we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus and bless them too. I love what Daniel Homan wrote in his book, Radical Hospitality, Benedict's Way of Love. He wrote these words, he says, The table is the place where you connect and belong. It is a place where the past remains alive and the memory of the very old and the future sparkles with possibility. It is enchanted. We lean close together. We share a glass. We tell a story. Through this simple human relating, the universe feels as though it is right again. I want you to think about the meals that you've had in your life that have changed you, that have influenced you in such a way that have blessed you. And, And sometimes we don't really think back, but But so much has has happened in our life where we become a different person, where something changes about our status or who we are or just our life in general, our soul. It happens in a conversation. Like your friends with that person, your best friends with them, maybe because of a time that you had coffee together. Or or the person you're, you're married to. If you're married, it probably happened on the first date and so often those first dates you eat together and you're there in that meal and you're like, I think this is, is the one. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus today because someone called you and you're like, hey, let's go grab dinner together. I just want to spend some time with you. And you thought differently than they did and you don't want anything to do with it. But you're like, you know what? They're going to invest. They're going to pay for it. Sure, I'll go. I'll go. And in that, they influenced your life in such an amazing way that you now follow Jesus because of that conversation over food. I think sometimes we forget about the power of eating together. But then I think about the life of Jesus and I think about what we just read here from home and and I begin to wonder, maybe God created us to eat, not to nourish our bodies, but to nourish our souls. Maybe that's why we were created to eat. That it had nothing to do with nourishing our bodies, and that's important. But it was all about nourishing our souls. That through the simple act of eating, it brings us together with others. As Homan says here, a table where we connect and can belong. Because over food, we learn so much from others. We, we learn so much about others and we give of ourselves in those moments in between these bites of food and sharing of a glass and, and we are changed because of that. Our, our bodies are nourished, sure, but our souls, I think, more than anything else are nursed and we get to nurse the souls of other people when we learn to bless through eating. Now, One of the things that we have talked about throughout this series, though, this this series, this this book that we're going through together, it really is connected to how do we bless people outside of the walls of this church. But I've said this, I think every single week, it is so important that we learn to bless people here inside these walls, too. I don't think we're going to be very good at it out there if we don't do it in this place. So I just want to quickly share with you a couple of ideas of how you can do that um, in a practical way. So let me just real quick run through these. The first one is our neighborhood groups. Um, As as Daniel talked about, when you leave today, uh, they're outside. Man, we'd love to get you connected in neighborhood groups. One of the things we tell our leaders and hosts in our neighborhood groups is you got to have food. We don't care if it's just celery sticks or it's coffee cake or whatever donuts from someplace Daniel doesn't like. It doesn't make any difference. You just get food there. And you know how this is, right? You go to a place that you really don't know people or you're trying to know people. When you got food in your hand, isn't it kind of like, ah, it's like comfort, food, tea, whatever it is that you want to drink. I don't care, but, but you've got that there and it allows you to open up. In our neighborhood group, man, we spend our first 30 minutes just kind of talking. We eat some food together. And you know what? It's just neat to listen to the conversations that are happening, people interacting with each other over food because you're getting to learn somebody something about somebody. And so jump into those neighborhood groups. There's food there. That's one, right? But it gives you opportunity to know people too. Second thing is we have a group called Reserved. Uh, this is a group of people who get together once a month and they go somewhere to eat, somewhere different every single time. Um, they go out to eat and they just spend time getting to know each other and sharing about life. And if you'd love to know more about Reserved, we've got the, uh, the email there that you can send an email to groups at thejourneynova.org. Uh, hit them up and uh, man, they'll get you connected with the Reserved group. Again, opportunities to bless the lives of others. And then lastly, a meal train. Uh, some of you have benefited from this in the past, or maybe even the recent past, but we've got a group of people here who just love to cook, or maybe you can't cook. Maybe you're like, I can't cook, but I got that eating out budget, and you know, I can get Grubhub cards, I can get a Chipotle card, and we'd love for you to jump in and be a part of this meal train. This is one of the most incredible ways to bless the lives of other people. Now, I know it's like you're not really spending a whole lot of time with them, but you're saying, hey, I care about you. I love you. I want to comfort you in a tough time. And so if you'd like to be a part of this team or know more about it, you can contact us, office at thejourneynova.org. Um, another option, you just invite people from the church that you want to know and you want to bless, and you're like, hey, let's go eat, or hey, I'm coming to your house tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Be ready. Make something good. Whatever it takes. But it's eating together that I honestly believe not just nourishes our body, but nourishes our soul. And it should begin here. But, again, the series, we're talking about how do we do that outside of these walls too. Real quick, here's how we do it. Three steps. Step number one, you go back to your hit list. We talked about three weeks ago, two weeks ago. You wrote down some names, people you feel like God's nudging you to bless. You've been praying over those names. You've been praying for those divine moments, appointments, to, to see them and to meet with them, to connect with them. If you've been praying about that, then you should start feeling something towards that. The Spirit of God should be moving in you in incredible ways. But you really move to step two, which is you invite them to eat. It's pretty simple. You invite them to eat. Maybe dinner, coffee, lunch, breakfast, something with food. And you just invite, invite yourself again to their house. You invite yourself to be a part of their life so you can bless them. Which then leads us to number three, which goes back to last week. Step number three is you listen. That you listen, you ask questions. You're not pouring out your whole story to them right now. We're talking about that in a couple of weeks. but, But you're just there to listen and ask questions and know more about them. To see what's happening in their life. To to see how you can be in prayer for them. To find out those hurts so you can support them. And as we talked about last week, jump in as needed in in physical ways to to give them what they need in those tough times. And you never know in those opportunities where you're eating with them. While your body's being nourished. Maybe their soul's being nourished too. And God's going to move in incredible ways in their lives. And they're going to get to know Jesus because of you. Because you took the time to eat with them and to spend with them. We can bless people through the power of food. But we can't let those limitations be there. One of my, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is Luke chapter 7, verse 34. It says, this is from Jesus. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Religious leaders, the people in that society, they looked at Jesus, and they looked at the people he hung out with, and they said, well, if Jesus is hanging out with those people, then he must just be like them. Then he must be a glutton, and he must be a drunkard, and he must be, if we go back to the other word, he must be scum just like them. They labeled Jesus this. As I read those words, I think my prayer for us is, may you and I be labeled gluttons and drunkards. And friends of traitors and friends of outcasts, friends of the lost, friends of sinners. And not because of our our actions, of course, but because of the people we are eating with. Jesus used food as an opportunity to spend time and to influence and bless the lives of so many people. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. Maybe you and I need to learn how we can bless the lives of others through food ourselves? Who is it this week that you need to begin to bless through the power of food? As I think about Jesus and his ministry and I think about how food was an important part of how he connected and blessed the lives of others, it definitely takes us back to that last supper that he has with his disciples. It's something that we do every single week as a church, as a, as a church community, as a church body. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, here's what Jesus says at the Last Supper. He says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And then he says, Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus uses a meal to remind us even to this day that you and I are blessed. And we do this through this act of communion. But I want you to look at those last words there. He says, mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It's not really Jesus' last meal right there with these disciples, is it? Jesus is like, hey, there's a meal to come. And it's going to come in the future. And I can't wait to spend it, not just with you, but with other people. And could it be that you and I taking the time to bless people through food, and eating together, and breaking down those barriers, We are reminded that we're blessed and we get to take part in this meal. There are going to be people that you and I get to influence and bless that will be at that meal too. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to eating on that day together.